Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. First of all, uh, this coming week or this week, the WHO Summit, of course, is taking place. Just wanted to bring that to everybody's attention also, and I'm sure that when news comes out about that particular conference and what the World Health Organization allegedly decides regarding their pandemic treaty, uh, I will do my best to bring that information to you. Again, it, I can probably either bring it to you this week, depending on what information is released and, uh, and, and what their actual website says, but certainly next week also. In any case, again, you know, I, I, you've heard me go, go over this before. I know that a lot of people would say, well, this doesn't matter. It doesn't have any implications to the United States because it's not constitutionally sound, et cetera, et cetera. It does matter. It doesn't matter if it's not constitutionally sound or not. This has to do with copious amounts of institutions in the United States that, of course, really control all facets of what goes on here, by and large, that if they sign on on this and they agree to this, and the, all those emails go out from government saying, agree to this, or that we've agreed to this, thereby you have to agree to it or else, then they're going to go along with it. That includes, again, hospitals, schools, health departments, you name it. I just have a feeling they're going to try something again. And again, I mean, why wouldn't they? Why, why would you build all of those FEMA camps and not use them? Why would all of these foreign countries build all of, all of that uh, infrastructure, so to speak, and not use it? So I'm not saying that to fearmonger. I really don't know. I just think that it's interesting that uh, they're meeting at the exact same time this week that the Bilderberg Group is meeting. That's not an accident. That's a, that's a giant on purpose. I think one of the cool things about all of this, though, is that normally these meetings would take place behind closed doors, in private, in secrecy. And if you even mentioned them or even brought them up as, as being actual meetings that really did take place with very specific participants, you would be called a conspiracy theorist and a bunch of other ridiculous names. But it is, it is legit. In fact, I'm looking at the giant list of names here of the Bilderberg Group participants. I mean, Stacey Abrams is at the very top. This is all in alphabetical order. You have Ann Applebaum of the United States, staff writer for The Atlantic. It goes on and on and on. You have prime ministers of certain countries attending. Uh, I'm just looking again. At the United States attendees, Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, will be at the Bilderberg meetings. Let's see, uh, Tran Chabra, I guess that's a, I don't know, American, I suppose, <laughs> Senior Director for Technology and National Security of the National Security Council. So again, you have government officials. Our government officials are there. These are clearly not good people. Um, Department of Commerce is there from the United States. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is there. Uh, Stanford University Family Senior Milbank Family Senior Fellow Niall Ferguson. It just it goes on and on and on here. Uh, Citadel LLC Kenneth Griffin will be there. Peter Thiel will be there. Henry Kissinger. I can't for the life of me figure out why he's still alive. Managers from Bloomberg will be there. Uh, Microsoft Corporation representatives are there as well. Again, the, the list is massive and, uh, and, and rather large. But again, you have tech 
groups there, you have media groups there, you have politicians there. And again, why would they be meeting at the exact same time that the WHO is making their announcements and, and voting on their alleged pandemic treaty? Again, these people are in on it, ladies and gentlemen. One, one bomb is all it takes. Just one missile, right? Right on top of that building, deep down in those bunkers where they do God knows what to children and everything else. But, uh, you know, that's really all it takes. Just one bomb. You can get them all. All right, so I just wanted to make mention of that and uh, bring that to your attention that those two things, again, are taking place from a geopolitical standpoint, and it should be interesting as to what unfolds. And again, hopefully there's video and audio of particular things. They never come out of the Bilderberg meeting, but they certainly would with uh, the WHO summit, certainly in, in paper form and in written form, we'll be able to figure out what they're up to. Uh, I wanted to read this very briefly. This was making the rounds here this past week. I thought it was interesting, and I know a lot of judges have different opinions on, on what's gone on here. Unfortunately, Justice Gorsuch has sort of stepped up to the plate here and brought out the complete ridiculous nature of what went on with the lockdowns during 2020 and all the idiots and the sheep who went along with all of that, of course. But... um he issued a, a rather strong opinion, which was very well done, I thought. It was lengthy. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but there's certainly some paragraphs here that uh, that I want to read to you. And this came from Arizona v. Mayorkas. And here's what it says. It says, that particular case is one of the cases dealing with Title 42 orders that severely restricted immigration to this country for the ostensible purpose of preventing the spread of COVID-19, quote-unquote. And then it said, today the court issued a procedural order in the case, and Justice Gorsuch wrote a statement regarding that decision. It began with laying out the tortured procedural history and noting the problems posed by nationwide injunctions. And then he added the following here. He said, quote, since March 2020, we've had experienced the greatest intrusions on civil liberties in peacetime history of this country. Executive officials across the country issued emergency decrees on a breathtaking scale. Governors and local leaders imposed lockdown orders forcing people to remain in their homes. They shuttered businesses and schools, public and private. They closed churches, even as they allowed casinos and other favored businesses to carry on. They threatened violators, not just with civil penalties, but with criminal sanctions, too. They surveilled church parking lots, recorded license plates, and issued notices warnings that attendance at even outdoor services satisfying all state social distancing and hygiene requirements could amount to criminal conduct. They divided cities and neighborhoods into color-coded zones, forced individuals to fight for their freedoms in court on emergency timetables, and then changed their color-coded schemes when defeat in court seemed imminent. Federal executive officials entered the Act too, not just with emergency immigration decrees. They deployed a public health agency to regulate landlord-tenant relations nationwide. They used a workplace safety agency to issue a vaccination mandate for most working Americans. They threatened to fire non-compliant employees and warned that the service members who refused to vaccinate might face dishonorable discharge and confinement. 
Along the way, it seemed federal officials may have pressured social media companies to suppress information about pandemic policies with which they disagreed. While executive officials issued new emergency degrees at a furious pace, state legislators and Congress, the bodies normally responsible for adopting our laws, too often fell silent. Courts bound to protect our liberties addressed a few but hardly all of the intrusions upon them. In some cases, like this one, courts even allowed themselves to be used to perpetuate emergency public health decrees for collateral purposes, itself a form of emergency lawmaking by litigation. Doubtless, many lessons can be learned from this chapter in our history and hopefully serious efforts will be made to study it. One lesson might be this, fear and the desire for safety are, are powerful forces. They can lead to a clamor of action, almost any action, as long as someone does something to address a perceived threat. A leader or an expert who claims he can fix everything, if only we do exactly as he says, can prove an irresistible force. We do not need to confront a bayonet. We need only a nudge before we willingly abandon the nicety of requiring laws to be adopted by our legislative representatives and accept rule by decree. Along the way, we will ascend to the loss of many cherished civil liberties, the right to worship freely, to debate public policy without censorship, to gather with friends and family, or simply to leave our homes. We may even cheer on those who ask us to disregard our normal lawmaking processes and forfeit our personal freedoms. Of course, this is no new story. Even the ancients warned that democracies can degenerate toward autocracy in the face of fear. But maybe we have learned another lesson too. The concentration of power in the hands of so few may be efficient and sometimes popular, but it does not tend toward sound government. However wise one person or his advisors may be, that is no substitute for the wisdom of the whole of the American people that can be tapped in the legislative process. Decisions produced by those who indulge no criticism are rarely as good as those produced after robust and uncensored debate. Decisions announced on the fly are rarely as wise as those that come after careful deliberation. Decisions made by a few often yield unintended consequences that may be avoided when more are consulted. Autocracies have always suffered these defects. Maybe, hopefully, we have relearned these lessons too. In the 1970s, Congress studied the use of emergency decrees. It observed that they can allow executive authorities to tap into extraordinary powers. Congress also observed that emergency decrees have a habit of long outliving the crisis that generate them. Some federal emergency proclamations, Congress noted, had remained in effect for years or decades after the emergency in question had passed. At the same time, Congress recognized that quick unilateral executive action is sometimes necessary and permitted in our constitutional order. In an effort to balance these considerations and ensure a more normal operation of our laws and a firmer protection of our liberties, Congress adopted a number of new guardrails in the National Emergencies Act. Despite that law, the number of declared emergencies has only grown in the ensuing years. And it is hard not to wonder whether, 
After nearly a half a century and in light of our nation's recent experience, another look is warranted. It is hard not to wonder, too, whether state legislatures might profitably re-examine the proper scope of emergency executive powers at the state level. He ended with this. He said, quote, At the very least, we can hope that the judiciary will not soon again allow itself to be a part of the problem by permitting litigants to manipulate our docket to perpetuate a decree designed for one emergency to address another. Make no mistake, decisive executive action is sometimes necessary and appropriate. But if emergency decrees promise to solve some problems, they threaten to generate others. And rule, by indefinite emergency edict, risks leaving all of us with a shell of a democracy and civil liberties just as hollow. Unquote. Just to summarize quickly, because you've heard me mention this before, of course, and I've written about it on the American Classroom Substack before also, years back, as all of this was actually happening. We had to experience this, and we had to see this because if you are aware of what the larger picture was and what the larger plan for all of us was, this is actually small potatoes compared to what they had planned for us. And we saw glimpses of it, of course, throughout this entire thing. We saw it fractured. We saw it in multiple pieces. What we didn't see was, again, what they, what they ultimately had planned for everybody everywhere which was everybody experiencing the exact same thing at the exact same time. You had some governments, again, locking people down and arresting people for going, for, you know, going on a walk. That wasn't the case where I live. You could do whatever you wanted. N- no police officer stopped us. You know, that, that wasn't the case. Fortunately, again, there are some local law enforcement individuals that refuse to enforce particular, whatever they are, ordinances or any other emergency decree that some local government decides. Again, I'm fortunate enough to live in a county where the sheriff said, we're not arresting anybody for not wearing a mask. That's not going to happen. So you can call us and say that the person isn't wearing a mask. The most we can do is just ask them to leave because they refuse to wear a mask. And, uh, And if they don't, then they're, you know, it's criminal trespass and whatever else. But as far as the actual mask wearing went, it wasn't much of a problem around here. Again, everybody was wearing them, which was unfortunate, except for, of course, me and, and smart people. But <laughs> unfortunately, you know, copious amounts of other people were, and business owners were. But this was the perfect crime, again, because copious amounts of people just believed the fairy tale, and they had to see it. And frankly, again, we, when it comes to the larger plan at play here, and what they had, again, designed for everybody, not just lockdowns, but door-to-door vaccinations. You can't move unless you're vaccinated. Uh, you know, w- with our chosen bioweapon, of course, for depopulation purposes. And then, if you refuse, well, we're going to take you to a FEMA camp and we're going to lock you down. The same again, visuals that we did see in China and in Australia and in the UK, and certainly in Ireland and in other countries. I mean, they were packing people into hotels if they were COVID positive, quote unquote, and they couldn't leave. Same thing in Canada. This was happening lots of places and, and you couldn't move, but it wasn't happening everywhere. And again, it, it's, it's always been the individual American who gets to stand up and say no. 
That's the larger point. Yes, mass noncompliance is, is incredibly crucial, but ultimately it's between you and the enemy and what the enemy has planned for you. And if you just give in and go along, well, you know what the end is going to be then. But if you don't and you self-govern and you walk around as if nothing is going on and there is no pandemic, quote unquote, and there is no problem, then, then you're the one who is sane. You, you are the person with the head on their shoulders. And there are endless examples of those individuals existing and continuing to exist and continuing to see again the much larger problem that is taking place here. And I'll tell you what, it's a nice segue into what I have right here at the beginning regarding education because I have a lot of very good news. You've heard me say this before that one of the compliments I've received regarding this show, and I'm, I'm certainly grateful for all of them, but one of them that uh, I personally think is, is one of the larger ones just has to do with individuals who are homeschooling. And, and they want to homeschool, and, and, they're, and they're, right, you know, they're right on the fence, and, and they, they see how bad things are, and, and they don't want to participate anymore in the K-12 apparatus, and they, and they want nothing to do with it, and all they need is a little nudge. Sometimes that nudge comes from God. Sometimes it comes from something they see, something they hear, and, uh, and, and that's all that it takes. But I have one, one story here again from a listener of the show, and they've been listening for quite some time. They know who they are, and, uh, and I certainly have to bring this up. But here's, here's their email to me. And again, they've been on the fence about homeschooling for quite some time. I've even sent them a bunch of resources, again, that are available on my website because I have a giant homeschooling PDF there with lots of different resources and, and web pages and books and things of that nature. But they've, they just sent me this and said the following, quote, I just told my wife that we're not sending our kids back to school. My youngest needs the Tdap shot to attend middle school. And since communist New York has no religious exemptions for vaccines, they really leave you no choice. I'm looking forward to the alternative education and homeschool. Let the real learning begin. Have a good one. Unquote. I mean, that's perfect. That's perfect. The Tdap shot, the tetanus uh, diphtheria pertussis stuff, it's poison. It always has been poison. It continues to be poison. And, of course, they have that on a vaccine schedule, so to speak, so that individuals receive it after a certain number of years. It being poison, of course, what does it do? Well, it does countless things. You can get on BitChute, you can get on Rumble, and you can type in tetanus, pertussis, and diphtheria and, uh, and just hit the enter button. And goodness gracious, the videos that pop up of people talking about the health problems related to individuals, in particular children, who end up receiving these shots is immense. Autoimmune conditions, some of their children are permanently paralyzed as a result. Plenty of them are dead. And copious amounts of others who are older now cannot have children. So it sterilizes them. That's your choice. Poison your child to death or teach them at home. It doesn't matter the school. It could be public-private charter if they have these quote-unquote vaccine mandates for things that don't exist. Tetanus isn't real. It doesn't exist. You're not going to get lockjaw from stepping on a nail. 
It doesn't work that way. It's a lie. All of these stories, though, again, filter their way down and people believe them. But th- this again proves my point earlier, and it's not just my point, it's, it's just biblical and, and certainly a fact, is that the devil always overplays his hand. That he creates these people who tell these false stories about these very scary things that really don't exist, but doesn't take into account that individuals are going to become wise to that and then walk away. And that always happens. And the more fairy tales that come out, the more individuals are going to become wise to it. And the more that they can see the hypocrisy and the lying, eventually, they'll just start doing the opposite of what everybody is telling them to do. Certainly what government-controlled environments are, are telling them to do. Um, you, you know, it, it leads me to actually to an article that Sicily in New Mexico sent me a while back. And I read it. It was very well done. And, and the individual, again, was, was a person basically railing on the education system. And they said, normally, I, I just constantly rail on the education system, and I, and I advocate for homeschooling, much of what I do here, clearly. But they arrived at the same conclusion that you've heard me say, which is, what are these environments going to end up with when it's all said and done? These environments are not ending up with, and by these environments, I mean the school environment, both K-12 and university. They are not ending up with the smartest individuals, the wisest, the most conscientious, uh, the most caring. These are not the individuals attending. The individuals who are attending, in particular, again, when they acquire the ability to read and write, you're, you're really just left with the mentally and physically handicapped and the full-blown brainwashed. That's it. Again, listen to the last episode of that Westerville City Schools board meeting. Listen to those people. If you heard that episode and I got a lot of feedback from that episode, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They have no idea what's going on. They have no idea the kinds of students that are in their school buildings. They have no idea how they're all, they've all been brainwashed as adults because they were brainwashed as children, and now they're passing that on to copious amounts of, of minors who, who they're not even related to. And they're fine with it because they don't know any better. They don't know what's happened to them. And they don't know what they're doing to other people now. Cicely even mentioned to me that she ran into a former student of hers who is either now in fifth grade or was in fifth grade, but their parents pulled them out of school permanently back in December, and now they're homeschooling. What a perfect age. What a perfect age to homeschool, right after elementary school before everything gets super gay and super retarded, because now they have the ability to read and write. We have the technology at our fingertips in order to really investigate and find the real truth with some guidance along the way. Don't use Google, for example. That's one of the skills. Never use Google. And uh, yeah, and it, it just brought a smile to her face. And she said, this is just fantastic. What a, what a great thing. More and more people are walking away on a day-in, day-out basis. And it doesn't just have to be what the school environment in their local area is doing that causes them to change their minds. It could be copious amounts of things. Let me give you another one. And this is not not a good thing. This is a very terrible thing. And this is unfortunately something that does happen across the nation with regularity. But 
recently, just within, I think, last Friday, this local school district in the town where I live uh, had a seventh grade girl kill herself. Now, that's all I, that's really all I know about the situation. I don't know anything else beyond that. Um, there was, again, an alleged rumor that the individual thought that they were gay or was gay and that maybe they had been bullied in the past, whatever it may be. The point is, and I've written about this in every book I've written, and I've said it numerous times, it is the K-12 environment that makes children this way. Yes, there are other factors, of course, that go into it, without a doubt. The home life, the family life, etc., etc. But when you have the Secretary of Education at the Department of Education, Miguel Cardona, tweet out that American school teachers know what's best for children more so than parents. And he said that. That is, that is a thing. He believes this. This is, this is his approach. He, of course, couldn't be more wrong because, again, it is the environment that breaks children. Keep in mind, this is the same environment that says children are resilient over and over and over again. Children are resilient, they're resilient, they're resilient. Well, the children are always resilient. How resilient was that seventh grade girl? And if they were bullied, fixing that is remarkably easy to do. If you have an administrator who doesn't have his head completely jammed in his ass, the problem is, is that many administrators do. They feel like their hands are tied, some of them might say. Bullshit. No one's hands are tied. You can very easily and very quickly set the tone in a school building regarding violence in school. You've heard me mention it again a million times on this show, and I don't even have a million episodes. All you have to do is get a microphone, speak over the PA system to the entire building, and say something like, if anyone reports any bullying whatsoever to me or to this administration or to their teachers, let us know, we will investigate, and that student will be suspended. And then if they do it again, they will be expelled, and we will recommend them for expulsion. This is not tolerated here. Again, I, I really don't care. Me personally, you know, I, I don't care about what the individual, again, believes or doesn't believe about themselves or their sexuality or whatever. They're, they're, not, they're not really gay. They're just, again, a lot of it's clicky, so they think, because, again, they've been brainwashed into believing that via society and, of course, all of the gay things that everybody sees in the school environment. But with all of that aside, if you just look at the violence aspect and just the aspect of bullying, it could be fixed in an instant. In an instant. And then, if the person is suspended, you tell the whole building. Does anybody know so-and-so? They've just been suspended. And here's what they did. That's it. See? Told you. And then you hang up the phone, turn off the PA system, and go, go right back to where you were. Again, this is the environment. This is what the environment could do. Now, that sounds a bit like prison even still, but if prison wardens did the same thing in prison, you might not have as much violence in prison. 
I don't know that for a fact. I'm just opining on that, but it's possible. Either way, the homeschooling family is laughing at all of this and saying that's not our problem. We communicate with our children. We tell them the difference between right and wrong. We point things out in society that are immoral. And, and this, is, this is how we go about raising our child. The problem is, is that you have constant parents who believe that government is the parent. And that government knows best, which is, again, it's all of these parent bootlickers who come up to the microphone during school board meetings and beg to have particular things exist within a school for their child. What are we going to do about field hockey? We need girls field hockey or my, my daughter will be devastated. If your daughter is going to be devastated by having a stick and a ball removed from their life, your daughter is retarded. It's that simple. They're just retarded. Why don't you give them a stick and a ball at home? Why don't you build them a net at home? Have them hit a ball with a stick into a net at home. What's the problem? Well, they have to compete and they like to compete. And they... Great, great. Then go down the street and get a bunch of other girls together and do the exact same thing. Have them all hit balls with sticks into nets and then everybody will just feel better. Again, what is the environment going to be left looking like in the future. Look how bad it is now. This can't be fixed, which again leads me to a previous point that I've mentioned, which is Donald Trump. Why has Donald Trump not come out and openly said, homeschooling is clearly the healthiest option for many Americans. It's not a viable solution for some Americans. Again, dual family, single parent, working all the time, in particular if the child is severely handicapped in one way or another. Not, not a viable solution in, in those situations, which means what? It means that's exactly what the K-12 environment is going to be left, left as in the future. It will be just for those students. That can be a good thing and a bad thing, too, depending on the ideologies that continue to exist within those environments. Unfortunately, those handicapped students aren't going to have a snowball's chance in hell. At arriving at any logical conclusion regarding reality, they will just continue to be indoctrinated and brainwashed. However, if the vast majority in, the, in, the, in our nation homeschool, you will see a societal change. There will be a societal change in all aspects of society. Elected officials will change because they will be the product of, of homeschooling environments. Again, I'm talking generations now down the line. Businesses will be run by homeschooling environments. Major corporations may be the exact same thing. They will not be the product of American K-12 public schools. And they probably won't be the product of brick-and-mortar universities either. This is the way forward, I think. I continue to firmly stand on the fact that this is the way forward. And more and more people are taking back control, giving government a middle finger, and saying, we're, gonna, we're the parents. We are the parents, not you. Maybe we were in a haze for a little while. Maybe it took us some time. Maybe we, again, continued to learn a, a copious amounts of things, but enough is enough. And now we're, we're, we're taking back complete control. And those are just, again, the two examples I just brought up are two perfect examples of, of parents taking back control, without a doubt. It's unfortunate, again, for the seventh grade girl who took their own life because suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. They should have been homeschooling because it is the environment, again, 
that destroys them. And in moments like this too, I might add, this is where school officials get really, really slimy. This is where, again, they take their entire bag of immorality and throw it up against the wall and see what sticks with the public. They will do their best to play hero in the environment. They will do their best to never accept any blame whatsoever. But they have no idea the mental and emotional impact that, that being picked on for anything, frankly, can have on a child, in particular when there are no consequences. Because it's very well known among the student population in a school building that administrators, counselors, and teachers won't do anything about violent behavior. This is well known among, among the student population. They know this. They walk around the halls going, yeah, don't talk to that teacher. They won't do anything about it. Don't take it to this administrator. They won't do anything about it. That counselor over there, forget it. They've lost their minds. Uh, they're, they're a crazy person and they smell weird. They're not going to do anything about that either. That's, that's, a, that's a well-known thing. It's a subculture, it, but, but it is the culture. It's a subculture among the student population that many of the administrators are blind to. American youth tend to know who the moral and immoral ad- adults in a building are. And they rarely to ever look up to the administration as if they are the saviors of all of their problems. So regarding the seventh grade girl, if I find out more information about that, I'll uh, certainly mention it here on the show. But it's remarkably unfortunate. It happens every year, all of the time. And uh, this is, again, where the administration swoops in to try to play hero. And they'll say that they have counseling services for anybody who was negatively impacted by this. And they will be on all of our, all of our campus buildings and blah, blah, blah. It was the environment itself that broke the child. Because that's nine times out of ten the case, every single case. They feel like there's no way out. They can't do anything else. The environment, as you've heard me say, and as you know, requires that division and competition be present within all of the time. They set the table for very terrible things to happen constantly. Constant competition, whether it be academic, intellectual, physical, political, ideological, whatever you want to call it. All of those different avenues. In this day and age, I'm sorry, but that's just too much for a minor. That's too much for a child, and and this is what happens when they just can't take it. They just can't take it. The constant confusion. And as we know, what is that confusion? Who creates that confusion? Who creates that division? Who creates that level of uncertainty? It's the devil. That's it. It's the devil. And the environment, as we know, is absent of the teaching of God and copious amounts of other things. Certainly the truth regarding endless subjects, which is a perfect invitation for the devil, which is why things like this occur. That's the, that's the broader picture, I think. It's unfortunate, but it is a reality. You've also heard me say it's the battlefield. And what happens on battlefields? 
not good things typically. But here's another example. Again, another perfect example here. Jesse James tossed this my way from the Dangerous Info podcast. This came from the Oakland Press. And the funny part is, is in the caption of this of this particular story, which I found online here, um, they're actually promoting a private school, which is hilarious. And the story, of course, is about his local school in the, in the town where he lives, that the enrollment numbers continue to decline. So it says, quote, public school enrollment numbers continue to decline. No change in downward trend on the horizon. <laughs> it's great. It's just great. Clarkson High School. Figures released earlier this year show a continuing decline in public school enrollment in Oakland County and throughout the state. You know, where the Crumbly kids shot four kids. Shocking. Shocking that people wouldn't want to go to school. Remember all that stuff? The, the clear backpacks, the, the bullet-sniffing dogs that we can smell bullets in your backpack if you have them? It's nuts. Metal detectors, the whole thing. I just love it. It says, experts suggest several things have contributed to the steady decrease. Let's, let's hear what they think those are. It says, in Oakland County, 27 of 28 school districts experienced a decline in, in enrollment from the 2019-20 school year to the 2022-23 school year. Clarkston was the only district to gain students. The implications for districts is significant, since education funding is based on per-pupil funding. A loss of 25 students is about $225,000 decrease in state funding for school districts. I'm going to repeat that. 25 students is a $225,000 decrease in state funding for school districts in Michigan. Do you see what a lack of participation can do? If you just don't go, you can make them insolvent. It's beautiful. It's that simple. It says, according to the Michigan School Data website, Michigan's official public portal for education data over the past three years, Oakland County K-12 public school enrollment fell by 9,664 students. Some districts had minimal declines, while six districts had more than 10% drop over that three-year span. In Oakland County, Madison, 19.6%, uh, Oak Park, a 16.8%. Decline. Uh, Pontiac, 14.6%. Waterford, 13.5%. And Southfield, 11.7%. Lost the highest percentage of students over the past three years. Remember me saying, <laughs> I, hate to, I hate to bring this back to me, but I have to just as a reminder here. Remember me using the percentage 11% a long time ago? That if these schools hit 11%, they're screwed. Because it'll never drop below that ever again. They'll either maintain at around 11%, but in this case, they're as high as 19.6%. They're finished. They're absolutely finished. It's, it's glorious because it forces the hand of the parent to make another choice and make another decision. I love it. I love it. I mean, this just, it, it puts a giant smile on my face every time. It says statewide enrollment dropped over 60,000 students 
and Macomb and Wayne counties lost 6,037 and 11,662 respectively. According to the 2022 University of Michigan study in the fall of 2020, 3% of all Michigan students and 10% of kindergartners began using other education options. Most of this came from homeschooling rates jumping substantially among families with children in elementary schools. I'm going to continue with this article. It's glorious. It's just too good. Uh, It says, quote, these overall and age-based patterns in total public school enrollment changes broadly match aggregate data for the nation, the study said. They said, quote, movement to homeschooling accounts for the majority of Michigan students who did not return to the public system with movement to private schools explaining most of the rest. The decline has been steady over the past decade, but exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. Incorrect. Incorrect. See how they blame this invisible fairy tale called COVID? That's not why. It's because of the dummies running the school districts who didn't think differently from one another on any issue regarding COVID, quote-unquote. They all went along with the same lie. That's why. That's why they're insolvent. It says most charter schools in Oakland County have maintained their enrollment over the last three years, but the Lighthouse Connections Academy, a tuition-free online public school, saw numbers jump dramatically the past three years. No kidding. It says the enrollment grew from 537 K-12 students in 2020 to 2,454 in 2023. The UM study offered some insight as to when and where students began opting out of public schools during the pandemic and afterward. Said the study found that districts provided, providing, sorry, an in-person option. During the pandemic saw more students leave for homeschooling than districts offering only remote or hybrid options. The opposite pattern appears for enrollment in private schools which were larger among districts not offering in-person instruction. They said, quote, students in districts that were operating remotely in 2020 were drifting to private schools and districts operating in person drifted to homeschooling, mainly at the lower grade levels, said Tara McBride, assistant director for research at the Education Policy Innovation Collaborative. And that was at Michigan State University. It says Pontiac Superintendent Kelly Williams acknowledged that many factors led to the exodus of students and administrators are continuing to work on solving the problem. Good luck. Good luck, dummies. You're not going to be able to solve this one. More rainbow flags isn't going to do it. They actually said this, quote, all of those issues have absolutely impacted our enrollment, she said. We continue to address the situation, evaluate, and provide wraparound supports for our students and families to ensure our students' needs are being met, unquote. There is nothing to suggest the decline enrollment will end anytime soon, the article says. Quote, the decreases that have been going on for the last 10 years are probably going to continue at a similar rate, mirroring population trends and people having fewer children, said McBride. Now, that's true 
except that's not the real answer. Because again, this is now government blaming the home. See, the schools love blaming the parents. Well, you're not having enough kids and you're not sending them to us, which is why we don't have enough money and we can't keep the lights on and employ people and blah, blah, blah. They don't ever want to look inward that it's their own policies, procedures, and lack of education that's the real problem. It says in Michigan, births slipped from 153,000 in 1990 to 114,000 in 2026. The birth year for most children who started kindergarten last fall. Quote, we will continue to see an enrollment decrease, but not at the stark rate there was during COVID. But it doesn't look like we will be regaining those numbers that we lost, said McBride, unquote. Do you see how they don't accept any responsibility for abusing children? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's none. It's none. They accept no responsibility. Yes, we masked them. Yes, we gagged them. Yes, we told them to stay a, a satanic six feet apart. Yes, we told them to walk around with plastic dividers and not even look at each other in the face and uh, not even recognize their own best friends. Yes, we did all of that and we abused the ever-living hell out of them because government told us to, but it's not our fault. It's because parents aren't having enough children these days. That's why. They bounce around the issue like pathological liars. If you put these people in an interrogation room with me, I would, I would have a field day with them. I would love it. I could wear a little badge that says detective. I could, <laughs> I could start questioning them and, and get them to eventually break. Eventually, I would get them to break. I would say something like, so with all of the things you've said as to why you've done what you've done, do you think for a minute that maybe you did it wrong and that maybe all of it was a giant hoax and that actually you were just abusing children when if you'd have done this in 2019, you would have lost your job, but because government told you to do it in 2020 and every year after that, it was okay. And just watch them just break. They would have to. Because they're bouncing around the issue here because they have nothing left. They have to avoid. They have to evade. This is, this is what they have to do. And speaking of that, you guessed it, Miguel Cardona yet again. He was on Capitol Hill testifying and getting grilled uh, from, again, a lot of these people in Congress. Now, I will say this. This happened last week, but I think it was the 19th, if memory serves. But I will say this, of all of the committees that exist in Congress, the least entertaining is the Education Committee, because all of these individuals in Congress believe things that aren't real, like the good school children they were, and now they've made their way into politics where they still believe things that aren't real and still support things that don't need supporting. And the line of questioning is typically very bland. They basically are kind of like a watered-down Fox News when Fox News has a segment talking about the perverse books and the amount of money that's going to a particular thing and, and whatever else it is. That's essentially all they bring up on a constant basis. They'll bring up student loans. 
and uh, you know a few other issues, but it's all just sort of very, very bland. You're you're not going to hear these politicians grill the education secretary again the way that I would grill an administrator in a uh, in an interrogation room about masking and child abuse and all of the atrocities that have taken place this entire time. The problem also is that they they much like the uh, the individuals in that article that I just read. They blame the COVID pandemic, quote unquote, for all of the lost learning. All of the lost learning that took place, it's, it was all from COVID and it was all because of the lockdowns and the masking and, and all of that. They will bring that up from time to time. But one of the things that Cardona brought up in the testimony is he openly stated that the Department of Education is not a political entity. Now, who out there believes that? I mean, no one with a brain actually believes what he's saying there. But this audio that I want to play right now, again, about five minutes long, they're talking about the attorney general's memo regarding the surveillance of parents in XYZ along with the FBI. So give this a listen, and I'll bounce in on the other end. Thank you, Madam Chairman, and thank you, Mr. Secretary, for being here. Mr. Secretary, one year ago before this committee, I asked you for an update on the implementation of A.G. Garland's October 2021 memo to the FBI, asking them to investigate parents uh, who are expressing concern about the education of their children in government schools, which their tax dollars are funding, as you know. And this is the same DOJ that arrests and jails peaceful pro-life protesters, that targets Catholic churches in Richmond, Virginia, near my district. You stated a year ago when I asked you about it that your staff may have received information on the implementation of the memo, but you had not personally received that. It's now been a year. Have you since uh, received an update on the implementation of A.G. Garland's memo directing the FBI to investigate parents? Um, thank you for the question. Are you asking me if I've received an update? From yes. Have you received an update on that memo on what's the status of the FBI targeting or investigating parents who express their concerns at school board meetings. Have I received an update from my staff or from the DOJ? Have you re what kind of an update have you received? What's the there, status? What's your understanding yeah. of the status of the FBI efforts to investigate parents who show up at school board meetings? There is no update of anything uh, regarding that. There is no involvement in the NSBA letter from the Department of Education. And as a matter of fact, we strongly support uh, engaging with families and parents, especially at the board level. You know, the subject of that memo in October of 21 was partnership among federal, state, and local tribal and territorial law enforcement to address threats against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff. It begins with, in recent months, there's been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school board administrators, board members, teachers, and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools. Was that true? Sir, you're referencing a letter of two years ago. What, was that true? Can you repeat Are that? Are you aware of this big upswing in violence and intimidation and threats directed at school board members, teachers, and staff? Is that, was that true? I'm focusing now, sir, on making so sure no, schools you, you are You can't getting... verify that or confirm that being the Secretary of Education that that's true. Right now, sir, in 2023, our focus is in making sure that our school boards have enough dollars to provide the funding so do you support, to their schools. Do you support A.G. Garland's directive uh, targeting parents who show up and express their concerns at school board meetings? Sir, if you have questions for the Department of Justice, I would you are the Secretary of Education. You to, do you support his memo targeting parents who show up at school board meetings to express their concern to I, their I am, school board I have complete confidence that uh, our uh, Department of Justice is well 
position but you don't to, support it, apparently. You're not saying you support that. I, I believe that they're well within the right to do what they feel is necessary. My focus is on... So you think on, we should uh, t turn over parents to law enforcement if they show up to school board meetings to express concern I, about what's happening in their kids' schools? Thank you. Let me tell you what I feel. I feel parents are critical partners in the process of education. Do you think their parents children. have primary responsibility for the education of their kids? Absolutely. Primary authority for the education of their kids? Absolutely. Okay, so if, when a parent shows up to a school board meeting to express concerns, do you think that the DOJ and the FBI ought to respond by targeting those parents? Sir, I believe parents' engagement in board meetings, in school functions. Okay, so you're not important. saying yes, I presume that you don't support that. Now, you as Secretary of Education, have you done anything to help protect the First Amendment rights of parents who show up and express their concerns at school board meetings without threat or fear of threat of retaliation from government or law enforcement? Yeah, have we you have done anything to help protect that? Yes. yes what have you have. done to help protect that? We communicate regularly with uh, all stakeholders, including parents, including uh, board uh, officials, around the importance of engaging parents at a higher level than even before the pandemic, because I think parents know better than anyone else what the needs of their child are, and their well, I'm engagement I'm glad to hear you critical. say that. We certainly agree that parents know best. Uh, this October 4 memo from two and a half years ago, or a year and a half ago, is just another example of how uh, this uh, DOJ under A.G. Garland has become a politically focused, weaponized justice system. In fact, you see, uh, in my office was recently made aware of a report that staff and associates of Loudoun County Schools, gosh, they're in the national news all the time, aren't they? It's a classic textbook example of uh, education gone awry here at the local level. But they have orchestrated a campaign of smear attacks, their school board, against uh, and harassment and intimidation against local parents. Uh, of course, as you probably know, they posted on Facebook. Uh, uh, threats uh, against parents was in a Facebook group saying things like, this is school board, you know, lives need to be ruined beyond repair. I'm so ready to show up with guns, LOL. Do you think it's appropriate for parents, uh, for comments like this to be directed at parents? Parents have the right to communicate and be present at board meetings. I support parents communicating their thoughts and their displeasure. Would you, would you support an investigation board? into this, what has happened in Loudoun County Schools just recently? Would you support an investigation into that? We have the Office for Civil Rights that uh, investigates if complaints are made, and we're happy to follow up on any complaints that Would are Would you support alleged. an investigation into this? If an, a, a complaint toward our Office for Civil Rights was filed, I would. Thank you very much. I Thank yield you. back, Ms. Madam Chairman. Parents know best, he said. Parents know best, really. You're under oath, sir. Because here on Twitter, at 4.10 p.m. on May 19th of 2023, you said, quote, Teachers know what is best for their kids because they are with them every day. We must trust teachers, unquote. Teachers' kids, government's kids, and they know what's best because they're with them every day. He's an idiot. He's an absolute idiot. Here's the other thing. I'm going to play one more clip from the same hearing. This, again, is typically what the Education Committee is going after, which, again, I'm fine. But you start asking questions about who's allowed to be in what bathroom and so on and so forth. Again, it's the, it's the typical stuff. And this is considered typical now, which is disturbing. Another sign that the entire system is collapsing. So give this a listen. This is about three minutes long or so. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, thank you for your testimony. I'm going to, in the spirit of time, just go through a few yes or no questions, Mr. Secretary. 
Um, as you know, the House and this committee have passed the Protection of Women and Girls Sports Act in an effort to protect Title IX, which the Department of Education has failed to do. As a parent of two female student athletes, I have a vested interest in this issue. Do you believe that requiring those women to undress in front of Leah Thomas and allowing Leah Thomas to undress in front of female athletes constitutes sexual harassment, yes or no? I don't believe students should be, uh, feel unsafe in any locker room. Do you believe that it constitutes sexual harassment to force women to undress in front of biological males? I do believe uh, forcing uh, women to undress in front of biological males is a concern and a sexual... Yes. So if Thomas identified as male, would requiring female swimmers to dress with him have constituted sexual harassment? Can you repeat the question? If Leah Thomas identifies as male, would requiring female swimmers to dress with him have constituted sexual harassment? I, I think I know the line of questioning, and I'd be happy just to say, entertain. Just say yes or no. It's not a yes or no question for me. It is a yes or no question. Is it sexual harassment or not? You can continue down. You can use your time to go down okay. that line of questioning. If female athletes are sidelined from participation in women's sports or are denied awards or other recognition only because a male who self-identifies as a girl competes in the sport, does this constitute sex discrimination under Title IX? I'd be happy to discuss the merits of our proposal and hear your concerns about the policy. But this line of questioning yes where... Yes or no, do you think that... Female athletes sidelined from participation in women's sports if they're denied awards or recognition because a male who identifies as a girl competes in the sport. Does that constitute sex discrimination under Title IX, yes or no? I believe the uh, harassment and discriminations against transgender students is something that is rampant in this country. And as a department, we're proposing uh, regulations to make sure that all students are seen and valued for who they are and given the same opportunities So under to Title engage. IX, under, your in, under that interpretation, uh, uh, under, are you admitting then that Title IX, under your interpretation, no longer protects female athletes' equal opportunity on the basis of sex? I'm proud of the work we're doing to make sure okay. all students feel valued and seen in schools. And uh, there are students right now that are hurting because elected officials have chosen to use their platform to further ostracize them. And we take why pride in making proposed, sure Why schools, have you proposed regulation that will, under some circumstances, require schools and colleges to commit acts of sex discrimination under Title IX by per permitting biological men to take the place of female athletes in women's sports? If you look at our proposed Title IX regulations, it doesn't do that. What it does is prevent blanket bans on students who are transgender and allows students to participate in co-curricular activities, which are part of the uh, education process. But if those uh, biological males are required to uh, dress with female athletes, does that constitute sexual harassment? Are you referring to transgender girls? Yes. I believe transgender uh, girls have should have access to uh, all the experiences that public schools provide. Why is it not, uh, why do you not feel that female athletes should be protected from sexual harassment? All athletes should be protected from sexual harassment. But what you're saying is contradictory. Okay, I'm going to move on. To you can't reason with that. That's not a person you can reason with. That's not a person you can bargain with. He's lost his mind. He can't answer the most simple of questions. Even Burgess Owens went down a, uh, a line of questioning with him that, again, had to do with biological men and women, and he couldn't answer the question and said, well, I'm not a biologist and, you know, whatever else. At one point, uh, a Michigan representative simply looked at him and said, what color is your suit? And he, he, he didn't answer. And then 
a couple of people started to again criticize her and he, and she goes, "Hey, look, I just I'm just trying to get some kind of an answer from him because he's incapable of answering anything apparently. So, what color is your suit?" And he didn't even answer that. <laughs> Cuz he's an idiot. All right, moving on anyway. Moving on. Uh here's another one. And and again, this like clockwork, you've heard me mention it every single year the same old school shenanigans take place. And this is just another one of them. The old yearbook shenanigans, as it turns out. This one is funny, however. Uh, this right here, the, the, the old yearbook quotes that exist within yearbooks that are allowed to exist until, of course, someone doesn't like the quote and then doesn't want to look into the history of the quote and then they get upset on the first thing that they find on Google because Google told them, so it must be real, and all of that jazz. Uh, again, Cicely sent me this one. Very funny. Las, uh, Las Vegas Review Journal, reviewjournal.com, quote, this is the headline, Nazi quote prompts Summerlin School to recall yearbooks. It says the following, a prominent private school in Las Vegas is recalling its yearbooks after administrators learned a student used a quote from the founder of the American Nazi Party in its pages. The yearbook for the Meadows School, located in Summerlin, featured a photo of a student with a quote, and then the quote says, quote, Being prepared to die is one of the great secrets of living, unquote, according to a copy of the yearbook page obtained by the Las Vegas Review Journal. It says the quote attributed anon anonymously was taken from a 1966 interview that George Lincoln Rockwell, a notorious American white supremacist, gave to Roots author Alex Haley. It says in another response on the student's yearbook page when asked, quote, how can I influence others? The student replied, take control of a country, unquote. So those two quotations that I just read from that student were so offensive to the people reading it, that they're recalling all of the yearbooks. Ladies and gentlemen, the quote, being prepared to die is one of the greatest secrets of living, dates as far back as Marcus Aurelius, if not further back than him. That's how old it is. It doesn't matter who repeats it. That's irrelevant. But again, as I said earlier, they get on Google and it says George Lincoln Rockwell said this. And then they, you know, they get all angry. And then again, how do you want to influence people? You take back your country. That's not offensive. That too dates back to ancient philosophers. Who cares? These people have lost their minds. Again, you talk about a Google generation and you talk about Google influencing everything that exists within these environments. They have Chromebooks, for God's sakes. These Chromebooks are right in front of all of these teachers all of the time and in front of all of these students. What are they actually learning? The answer is nothing. They're not learning anything. They're just learning lies. It says, Lauren Walker, a spokesperson for Meadows, uh, Meadows School, said the school was investigating the matter. Quote, we are collecting our yearbooks due to a quote that was included with an anonymous attribution that runs counter to our school's core values, unquote. Walker wrote in an email Thursday, quote, we are taking this very seriously and cannot provide further details upon our investigation until our investigation is complete, it says. 
And ladies and gentlemen, don't worry. This school district consulted the Anti-Defamation League. Yes, that's right. It says on Friday, Meadows interim head of school, Claude Grubayer, if that's his real name, and another individual, uh, the board chair, Maddie Chilton, if that's their real name, released a statement saying that they do not condone hate speech or racism and would not allow for a quote from a known hate group leader to remain in the yearbook. The school said it had consulted with the Anti-Defamation League, a Jewish civil rights organization that works to combat anti-Semitism, and other community leaders on its response and support for students. Representatives of the ADL did not immediately respond to requests for comment Friday afternoon. Quote, It is our job to help our students navigate what is morally right and wrong. Is it? Is that really your job? And then they said, quote, And we have let not only our student-led yearbook staff down, but our community as a whole. <laughs> what is happening? What is happening? This is all it took. All it took was one dummy teacher Googling the quote, and then they believed the first thing that they read. And then all hell breaks loose. That's all it takes, ladies and gentlemen. You see how fragile the environment is? This is how fragile it is. Those two nitwits who work for the school district said that the student had been removed from campus and is no longer a part of our Meadows community, unquote. Walker said Friday that there hasn't yet been a determination as to whether the student would still be able to graduate and that the school would not divulge additional information until it had consulted with the student's family. When reached for comment, a man identified himself as the student's father and said that they are working with the school and declined to comment further. Uh, and the article just continues to go on and slander people. It's just nuts. They, they, they make fun of Rockwell, other people. He hated Martin Luther King, ladies and gentlemen, which is exactly why we should throw this student out permanently and berate them forever. Now, what if you did this? What if you threw in a Malcolm X quote? How about that? Then what? Would all hell break loose? Probably not. I mean, what if you threw in a quote from Malcolm X about, again, Jewish influence over the media and the media's influence over everybody and the lies that they peddle and get away with? What then? Again, the quote that the kids said is from Marcus Aurelius. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm not great with math, but if memory serves, Marcus Aurelius was born and lived and died way before George Lincoln Rockwell, if memory serves. But that's the environment right there. That's your, that really is your, your COVID example. That's your COVID proof. If a quote in a yearbook sends the entire environment into complete chaos, Look what a COVID lie can do. <laughs> it can destroy the entire business. It's incredible. That's probably the smartest student in the entire building, and the building just kicked him out. <laughs> it's awesome. Congratulations, dude. You're going to graduate. They'll give you your stupid diploma, and then you're on to bigger and better things, and you went out with a bang. So as far as I'm concerned, kudos to you. Pat yourself on the back. Well done. It's a great quote. Both were great quotes. 
Uh, okay, this one comes from The Blaze. Very quickly, Teacher of the Year. Yes, that's right, a Teacher of the Year. Charged with rape of underage student. Detectives say there may be more victims. Oh, here it comes. A California teacher has been accused of raping a six-year-old male student. Detectives believe that the former Teacher of the Year may have sexually assaulted other victims. Tracy Vanderholst was arrested on Thursday night on suspicion of having unlawful sexual intercourse with a 16-year-old male, according to a press release. Uh, Let's see. Booked into Central Detention Center in San Bernardino, and her bail was set at 30 grand. The arrest was made following an investigation by detectives, blah, blah, blah. There might be additional victims. It says, in a sense-deleted tweet, the high school said that Vanderholst, quote, offers up a rigorous mathematics curriculum and deep caring for her students. Ah, yes. Deep caring, ladies and gentlemen. Lots of deep caring taking place. Yuck. Okay, last education story here. Nashville. You know, every time I try to put it down, they just keep pulling me back in every single time. This is from Zero Hedge. And again, you can't make this up. And this right here, I think, is the cherry on top and the nail in the coffin. This right here is their excuse to never talk about this for a very long time. It is titled, quote, Nashville School Shooting Investigation Used to Identify Possible Accomplices says the MNPD, the Metro Nashville Police Department. The top law enforcement officials, it says, with the Metro Nashville Police Department, including the lead investigator in the Covenant School shooting, which didn't happen, have filed motions with the court to stop the release of evidence amid their ongoing investigation. In their court filings, law enforcement stated that they believed the assailant, Audrey Hale, who died on the scene, allegedly, acted alone, but they do not know for sure, quote-unquote. Here's what this means. They go on to say that the Covenant investigation is expected to take approximately 12 months based on the, quote, volume of evidence and the number of persons to be interviewed, along with officers working on a total of 46 homicide investigations in the city so far this year. So here's what they're doing. They're now using lawfare on all sides of this fake story to cover up the entire story. Remember, you had the tranny festo that was apparently supposed to come out, and then the actual school itself is now saying, no, we need to file papers saying don't do it because of the mental and emotional health of everybody. Now you have investigators themselves saying, don't release anything pertaining to the investigation because, frankly, there could be endless suspects involved with countless people who knew that this was going to take place before it took place, and we can't release that for at least 12 months. Ladies and gentlemen, it can't get clear that it didn't happen, and this is just more evidence that it didn't happen. They're just playing the lawfare game in order to muddy the waters, and delay their fake story from really coming out because they didn't plan this very well. That's, that's the end game with all of this. If anyone believes this happened, I'm telling you, they've got a few screws loose. 
Just look at the constant headlines of them putting this off as much as they possibly can, and that's all the evidence you need. Okay, jab-related things, and there's more than a few. First of all, uh, we lost a freedom doctor, as it turns out. Dr. Rashid Buttar has apparently died suddenly. This was an individual who was not jabbed. But they had been sick previously in the past from the shedding, and severely so. In fact, most of their patients were coming to them, coming to him, and they had received the shots and uh, were shedding on him as he was trying to treat them for their own jab illnesses and jab-related conditions. But it says the following here. It says, the Buttar family is deeply saddened to announce the passing of Rashid A. Buttar. Uh, passed away on May 18th at his home while spending time with his family. He attended Washington University, graduated with a double major in biology and theology, uh, and then he went on to earn a doctor of osteopathic medicine degree from the University of Osteopathic Medicine and Health Sciences in Des Moines, Iowa. Retired major in the U.S. Army, he served with the 5th Special Forces Group and the 101st Airborne Division. He survived by his three children, Sarah 30, Abe 24, and Rahan 18. Service arrangements have not been made. The family intends to have a private service at the request of, and they request privacy at this time and continued support and prayers. This was an individual who went on CNN and claims that he was poisoned after uh, attending the, the CNN interview, where in the interview, he openly states people who took the jabs, that the vast majority will be dead in the next five years. He openly calls it a biological weapon. He says this is not a vaccine that's intended to, to help anybody. It is hurting everybody who takes it. Uh, this, is, this is a depopulation agenda. He openly came out and said it on CNN. Again, very suspicious r regarding his death. Again, I do know for a fact that he was in ICU for a little while regarding the shedding. He even went to Dr. Brian Artis's house and received treatment from, from Brian Artis, which again helped him immensely. And he, and he was fine. And there's an interview between the two of them that I watched, which took place, I think, back in January of this year. Very informative, very good. And again, he was giving multiple speech, uh, speaking engagements and was set to give another one uh, on Memorial Day weekend. So, yeah, rest in peace without a doubt. He's a hell of a guy, uh, certainly seeking the truth and, and helping as many people do that as, as humanly possible. So there you go. And speaking of telling the truth, of course, and exposing that to numerous individuals regarding the, uh, the COVID jabs, this is from back on April 11th, and there's a particular quote in this which I think is remarkably informative that, that people should uh, take to heart and pass to as many people as possible. But this is from the Florida Standard. And it's titled, 600,000 Americans per year are dying from the COVID shots, says a top insurance analyst. Uh, a couple of paragraphs here. It says the following here right at the beginning. It says, those vaccinated against COVID-19 have a 26% higher mortality rate on average compared to those who declined the jab. And the death toll is even more staggering for vaccinated people under 50 years old, where mortality is 49% higher than those unvaccinated. 
Now, I'm going to play a quick little audio clip here. This is from Josh Sterling back in April. And this is, he's sitting next to Ed Dowd and a bunch of other people. And uh, I believe this is some of that Washington, D.C. It was one of those Washington, D.C. Ron Johnson hearings regarding the jabs and, and what they're doing to people. But uh, give this audio a listen from Josh Sterling. The senator asked, you asked us to show just the one chart that tells the entire story. This is that chart. Um, the U.K. government until this summer was reporting a data series that showed the relative mortality rates for the vaccinated and unvaccinated by the number of doses of the vaccine. We've done what we think is really professional work with this, and we think it simplifies down to a conclusion that says that through the last available data set, the people in the UK who took the vaccine have a 26% higher mortality rate. The people who are under the age of 50 who took the vaccine now have a 49% higher mortality rate. And worst of all, um, the people who only took one dose of the vaccine have approximately 145% dose of worse mortality rate. That last data point is on its face confusing, especially because it seems like there's more and more, you know, it just doesn't make a ton of sense unless you realize that what's going on with this really is that the people who took the dose, the first dose in the United States, that's about 12% of people, but then stopped taking any other doses. Those people through their choice to stop disproportionately the ones who were harmed. And so what we're concluding is that if you happen to be an unlucky person who was in some fashion, even moderately injured with a minor injury, you decided not to continue the statistics, the best statistics we have show that you're going to have at least through today, maybe it'll get better, you know, and obviously we're all here because we're hoping to find treatments and cures and screening and interventions, you know, but if that doesn't happen, we have to assume that this is now the baseline. There's going to be 145% higher mortality. And if you were to take these numbers and just apply them to the United States, that ends up being something like 600,000 excess deaths per year in the United States from this higher vaccine induced mortality. And, you know, that's, that's obviously a really concerning thing. And we're, I'm happy you called the meeting, and I, I'm, I know we all hoping to get to answers. Thank you. And, and again, I thought that statistic on a single dose was pretty interesting because, let's face it, every, just about everybody knows somebody who took, a, you know, the first dose and had a severe reaction, they're not going to take the second one. So. And again, that was back in April, the beginning of April, but I just wanted to bring that to your attention because I don't think I had before. Uh, the numbers sound familiar, but certainly not hearing his voice and hearing that that so-called testimony there. And then, of course, there's this. Johnson & Johnson has pulled their jab off of the market. Strange. It's almost like it kills people. It's almost like it doesn't work. Uh, you know, it, it makes you wonder again, in a moment like this, when they take the jab off the market for a particular brand, what, what, what are the other jab people saying to themselves right now? What are the people who took the Johnson & Johnson jab saying? You've heard me mention this name before, Chris Plant. Chris Plant's a radio host, a conservative radio host uh, out of Washington on 105.9 WMAL, Washington's Mall. He has a radio show, uh, again, from 9 to noon, and he took two rounds of the Johnson & Johnson. So what's he thinking now? Well, actually, it was either he or his wife. It was one of the two. I think it was him. Um, yeah, but he openly admitted again that that even his wife got sick from the jabs. But hey, they went back for more. 
And again, he even has people on his show who have criticized the jabs and said, yeah, I guess they don't work. Oh, well. And then they just kind of shrug their shoulders and then on to the next subject. It's a little more, uh, a little more serious than that. Which brings me to this too. The Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, is now saying that uh, you don't need multiple shots anymore. Weird. They've just backtracked. Now they're saying all you need is one shot. And they're specifically targeting the unjabbed. So they're telling the unjabbed, hey, look, you don't have to worry about a second or a third. Just get the first one. Just get one and you'll be fine. That'll be all you need. Because there's too many variants now and, well, the other shots have done what they've done, kill people. So just take one and then you'll be okay and you should be 100% fine from the original Omicron variant. Just more lies, more fairy tales, anything to get the unjabbed jabbed. That's all they're interested in. It says, what you need to know. Most individuals, depending on age, previously vaccinated with a monovalent COVID-19 vaccine who have not yet received a dose of the bivalent vaccine may receive a single dose of the bivalent vaccine. So it's an all-in-one kill shot now. No, I'm good. I'm fine being a pureblood. It's, it's worked out just fine. I'll wrap up with this. This is both jab and education related, as you would expect. Uh, this comes from the Sydney Morning Herald from New South Wales, Australia. And uh, this is, I think this is what we can expect in the future, ladies and gentlemen, in the United States. It's been happening for quite some time, of course, throughout this entire lie and the jab rollout and everything, but it's ramping up and the excuses, of course, are getting longer. This is titled, Hundreds of Students Return to Remote Learning and Masks Amid COVID Outbreaks. Can't make it up. It says almost a dozen public schools have returned to remote learning this week amid COVID-19 outbreaks that have also prompted one Sydney campus to reinstate a temporary mask mandate. Hundreds of students in years 9, 10, and 11 at Liverpool Girls High School have been told to learn from home while the school announced masks would be compulsory for pupils and teachers on school grounds for several days. About 20% of the high school's teaching staff have either contracted COVID or are off work with symptoms, forcing the secondary, uh, secondary students rather to revert to online learning for three days. The New South Wales Department of Education spokesperson said teacher shortages were a factor in the decision to move some year groups to at-home learning. Quote, we are working hard to get to the root cause of the crisis. To ensure disruption is minimized, they said. The decision to return to COVID safe measures at a school is made after a thorough risk assessment with the well being and safety of students and staff are key consideration. We know the best place for our students is the classroom, they said, but learning from home is used for a short period of time when increased cases impact a large number of staff and students. You're dying. You're dying. That's what that is. There's no COVID. You're just dying. You have a compromised immune system. It's wiped out. And if someone so much as looks at you strange, well, you get ill 
because that's what having a compromised immune system or AIDS is like. It says in a social media post on Tuesday, last Tuesday, Liverpool Girls High School said an increase in COVID cases in the community meant mask wearing would be mandatory for all staff, students, and visitors for five days from May 16th. Camry Public School on the North Shore moved some students to remote learning for two days a week, while several schools in the state's central west, including Orange High School, Martindale Public, Parks High, and others, have also asked students to learn from home for part of the week. They have no idea what they're doing. Not a clue. They're gagging themselves, they're depriving themselves of oxygen yet again, while they're already immune compromised from being jabbed. Because remember, in Australia, if you're a teacher, and were a teacher during that time, you had no choice but to take the shots. You had to. Which means you either left the profession and survived, or you remained in the profession, took the jabs, and now, look what's happening. This is going to happen in the United States on a grander scale. It's already happening. It's already constant. University campuses, K-12 environments, there's no avoiding this. And one of the tells, which you've heard me mention before too, is the time of year in which a person gets sick. Because an immune-compromised individual, it doesn't have have to happen in the fall or the winter or even the spring. They can get deathly ill in the middle of summer when no one is sick. No one with a functioning immune system really becomes ill in the middle of summer. But I guarantee it's going to happen with copious amounts of education faculty at the university and K-12 level this summer without a doubt. That's going to be an interesting school year next school year. It really is. I know we're not even to summer yet, technically, and the schools, the school years are pretty much coming to an end right now, but I'm telling you what, it's going to get real hairy in the future. But then again, that's just my two cents. I could be wrong. Two final things, actually, very quick. Uh, very funny story. AJ sent me this. I want to read this very quickly. Uh, wh- what are the odds, ladies and gentlemen? What are the odds that this would have happened? Absolutely incredible. He texted me this. He said, Sean, I know it's late your time, but he said his son and him arrived in Reno for the weekend. We're attending a conference tomorrow with several speakers hosted by the Mrs. Institute, if I'm saying that right. It says, anyway, we checked in at the hotel and got in the elevator to head up to our room in the El Dorado Casino Hotel. Who walks in the elevator right behind us? Simone Gold and her gay underwear boyfriend. I didn't say anything to them. No idea why they are in Reno. Possibly meeting with Joey Gilbert, question mark. Weekend getaway, question mark. I will try to find out, unquote. (laughs) It's incredible. It's incredible. I got to tell you, he, uh, to be in a, in a elevator with Simone Gold and John Strand, and and hold your tongue has uh, th- that's biblical patience absolutely biblical level patience i mean uh he must have transformed himself into job at that particular moment aj incredible i would have started yelling at her i'm certain 
Just one question after another. So what are you going to do with all that money you stole? Are you going to give any of that money back? What are your plans on with, uh, with all that money? You don't actually think you're going to stay out of jail, do you? I mean, I just would have kept railing on them until they would have, uh, oh, I don't know. She, they, they wouldn't have been able to avoid it. And she may have put up a little verbal fight. That would have been hilarious. But uh, wow, absolutely incredible. Here's the last thing, a little special request from my dad. He said, tell your audience what in the hell is going on with Mitch McConnell. Have any of you seen Mitch McConnell? It's incredible. He's apparently back in Washington and has been for a while now, but he's not saying anything anymore. Now, I know that the story out there was that Mitch fell, and he fell and he hurt himself, and he was hospitalized, and, uh, and well, he, he, ju he just fell. And he's been, he was gone for months. And now he's back, and he's not, he's not talking. In fact, he looks like a deer in headlights. So I have a couple of theories. It's possible he fell, and now he's just kind of comatose. Uh, I wonder if he took the jabs. That's, that's clearly another option. There's also this. What if Mitch is now completely controlled? And what if... Mitch has seen his wife, his Chinese wife, which is probably his handler, uh, get arrested. Who knows? Maybe, maybe that's happened. I'm just throwing that out there. But uh, bounce around on the internet. Get on YouTube and look up Mitch McConnell, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. He, uh, he doesn't look well. He'll stand behind Kevin McCarthy and not say a word. He'll stand behind these other senators who normally stand behind him when he's doing all the talking, and he doesn't say a word. His mouth is closed, his face looks even more droopy than normal, and his eyes are as big as saucers. I wonder if he's on drugs. Something's going on with old Mitch, but uh, something to keep an eye on there. Okay. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, I'll catch you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.